NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hello, welcome to the author conversation for the month of June's reading in the 2020-2021 Marginal Syllabus. Marginal Syllabus is a project that convenes and sustains equity conversations in the margins of texts online using the social annotation tool Hypothesis. I'm Joe Dillon from the Denver Writing Project. I teach English at Gateway High School in Aurora, um, and I'll be the host for our conversation. Um, this month, we're excited because we've invited a friend of Marginal Syllabus to talk about a piece he co-authored titled, You Can Still Fight, The Black Radical Tradition, Healing, and Literacies, which is actually the editor's introduction for the February 2021 edition of uh, Research in the Teaching of English. So I'm going to ask everybody to introduce our, our, themselves. And so, Chris, would you please go first? Yes. Hey, everybody. Um, Chris Rogers. I take he, him pronouns. I'm currently located in Philadelphia, uh, also known as uh, Lenape Hoking, uh, representing the unceded lands of the Lene Lenape peoples. Um, I'm a grad student, <laughs> I have multiple roles, but I'm a grad student, at, uh, a doctoral student at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education within Reading, Writing and Literacy, where I serve as an editorial assistant for RTE. Uh, but in addition to that, I also have um, served as the curriculum co-chair for National Black Lives Matter at school since 2017. And then additionally, I um, am the program director for the Paul Ripson House Museum. Um, a, you know, passion project of mine that's located in West Philadelphia that stewards the legacy of Paul Ropeson, but also serves as like a community space to honor the role of art as a tool for social change. Um, so lots of different traditions, and I think it comes through in the work too. So I'm happy to talk about it with you all today. Yeah, Chris, it's so, so lovely to have you here. Uh, briefly, my name is Rami Khalir. Uh, I'm an assistant professor of learning design and technology at the University of Colorado in Denver and a co-founder and co-facilitator of this project that we've called the Marginal Syllabus since 2016. And Chris, you've been with us and hanging out with us. and helping us learn and think for many, many, many of those years. So it's really lovely to be in conversation with you today. Hi, and I'm Christina Cantrell from the National Writing Project and I'm and the Philadelphia Writing Project. I'm based here in Philadelphia. I've had the great pleasure to, to connect with Chris both locally and nationally around a lot of the work that he's been leading and so thankful for the local work that he does too through the Paul Robeson House, et cetera. Um, so really excited to talk about all the connections here because I think they're very um, uh, provocative and important for where we are today. So thanks yeah. for being here, Chris. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, and so super excited to be able to learn with you and from you as always, Chris. And, uh, and you know, so we always start these conversations by asking the writer to talk about the, their writing process. And this is a unique piece in terms of what we've shared in the, the marginal syllabus because, you know, again, it functions as an editor's introduction to, you know, a journal, a big academic journal. Um, but in this short piece, you really touch on a lot of like meaty topics. So there's there's any number of ways you could go with providing us background, but I'm just kind of curious, like what background do you think was important for us to, to know or might be interesting to share with us about the writing of this piece and maybe thinking about how to introduce an issue, particularly the way you did, which is, you know, seems provocative to me. Yes, um, I, you know, first and foremost, I think for this issue, um, so I am a, a, a newer editorial assistant on the RTE team, um, but also I think in some ways it represents a, a, a generation of academic discourse today of like I entered um, at a time when we have people who are like experimenting with new forms and new entry points into academic conversations and I really appreciate it that being 
like in joining this RTE team, I got to come into an unfolding conversation that was like, how do we do things differently? How do we talk about, and in some ways, like the persistent and same issues, but how do we enter those conversations differently that in some ways can, you know, cultivate new audiences or new solidarities and, and new connections uh, that allows us to um, create change in, 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 in different ways. So I think like first, when it, the first way I come into this uh, piece is seeing um, what uh, Dr. Gwen Black um, Baxley and uh, Dr. Yolanda Sliver-Weeze are beginning to craft around how are we talking about uh, the Black arts movement and the Black radical tradition and poetic forms and its sort of like connection to literacy? Um, so I'm, I'm, as I'm arriving onto the team, I'm sort of like, oh, this is my world. This is where I live, you know, uh, between the work that I do in the community, uh, you know, and our role in doing a little community organizing in Philadelphia. And then my own sort of like love for black literature and black arts, it was like, oh, this is this is perfect. And uh, uh, I really appreciated our team for really like um, saying, Chris, go with it. Like, um, you know, feel free to sort of like input and bring your own um, connections to this piece. So I feel like the first thing I always like to really appreciate is that we do, um, we are in the need to really diversify our forms of what is counts as like academic discourse or or knowledge, um, you know. And I have a lot of models in that. Some of the people that you see referenced throughout the collection is like Mary Baraka, uh, who talks about like black music and that um, that the the form is trying to the form is the feeling, and the feeling is trying to create the form, right? Um, it's like seeing this connection there and I, I really appreciate Dr. Gwen Baxley and Yolanda Silly Ruiz um, who's on my dissertation committee. So grateful as a mentor to have uh, her as a mentor um, for really like giving me permission as a new person in this academic world to like step into that. That really felt refreshing. So I was happy to contribute to it in this way. And I think that's how it gets meaty because we're like, oh snap. We got a whole new world of stuff that we can place in here that I don't think has been fully articulated in this format in the past. So how can we place some stuff in here? Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. And the one thing I would just ask you as a follow-up about the you know background on the piece is, you know, you you mentioned in the piece like when it was written. And I think you, it was written, if I, if I have my highlights correct in front of me, that you, it was during the presidential election and also sort of like, you know, at that time in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. So maybe just like, like, do you have any reflections on writing it then and during such crazy tumultuous circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a couple of timestamps in it for, for me. And it's one, uh, the unfolding discourse around Lovecraft Country, um, in particular for like the intro in the, in the dialogue. Um, and just, I remember, I don't even know if we were in the pandemic at that time, but I just remember, you know, that those weekly check-ins that, you know, we were having like, what's, how are we like uh, diagnosing this TV show amidst all the things that we were seeing amongst the election, amongst um, you know, the, the resistance to fascism um, within, within the country. Um, so I think that was important. I think, you know, as the piece sort of comes together and we think about like the role of the uh, COVID pandemic, um, the rise or a returning uh, cycle of black uprising in this country and, in, and really across the world and its connection, you know, um, you, we, the, the moment to focus on the struggle um, and how uh, our literacies, our creative reflections allows us to um, contextualize that work. And what are the things that, and I, I mean, anything that I know with, you know, Dr. Alonzo Silly Ruiz is gonna be like, well, what is the, what are the, like the loving 
parts that sustain us through, right? What 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 do we hold on to? Um, where's the love in this work? And I think that comes through, you know, really strong in in their poetry. And I think in the other pieces that we have, you know, uh, think about like Grace Blair's um, work around, you know, uh, uh, women of color, women, uh, girls of color celebration, right? It is about that, right? Like, not, let's not just focus on the suffering. Let's not just focus, um, but let's think about what is what is our role and what is the what is the space that we create amongst ourselves that really allows us to continue, right? And I think that that means a lot. That means a lot during the pandemic, right? And surrounded by so much loss and grief and mourning, that we have to remember and hold on to um, that we that we that we do and we constantly create spaces of, you know, someone, I, I heard, um, I'm always got a book around, Ronaldo Walcott, he calls it like glimpses of freedom, right? There's all these spaces that we can create or uh, that create like glimpses of freedom around us. So how do we hold on to that and then turn that into like a, a praxis, uh, if you will, of like, what, is, what does that work look like in, in classrooms? And then, but also through the poetry work, what does that look work look like for us? Because we can't do it ourselves. There's no way we can teach about it. Thanks so much for giving us that introduction. And I like I know just as the last piece you said about, you know, how do we turn this into a praxis? I think somewhere in the margins, I scratched the word praxis and with a question mark in it. But I also know that Ramey and Christina have some notes on their uh on their version of this article. So I'll open it up to conversation about our notes and our questions about this uh, this article. And certainly I'm gonna circle back to Praxis, but I also know that Ramey's proud of his color-coded notes. So maybe we start with Ramey or we start wherever well, folks wanna start. Sure, and let me just give maybe a little bit of, of, of kind of maybe context um, as, as a way of further welcoming Chris, you, and again, this co-authored editor's introduction um, into the current marginal syllabus. Um, which is this will be featuring this article um, and our commentary about it and this conversation as the final entry in the 2021 marginal syllabus that's been uh, shared this this spring um, starting in March and now through June and you know it strikes me Chris as I hear you talk about this idea of holding on to and creating spaces that glimpse freedom and the need amidst these, as you said, I think a very important reminder, particularly for many white folks, I'll say, to be reminded of the international movements and uprisings for black liberation and joy, um, that we curate as educators, the types of conversations and spaces that also allow us to glimpse those moments and those possibilities. And in a very humble way, um, I don't wanna extend too far <laughs> The efforts of the marginal syllabus, but I hope in a very humble way that we've tried to curate a set of readings this spring that does that. And so as a reminder to listeners or to viewers who are perhaps engaging with this conversation for the first time, we began this marginal syllabus in March with a piece by Jennifer Turner and Autumn Griffin on Black girls dreaming and their kind of multimodal adolescent literacies as they express and share those both in and outside of school settings. And then we moved from that article into a discussion with Patrice Johnson and a piece that she co-authored with, at the time, a doc student, Hannah Sullivan, um, that also looked at kind of revealing the human in the writer. And I feel as though both of those pieces in particular in the syllabus, again, in their own ways, speak to the kind of praxis that Chris, perhaps you've attuned us to today, which is that there are new forms of literacies, new types of expressions. Chris, again, as you said, and I've, again, always taken copious notes here, kind of new forms, as you were emphasizing earlier, new forms of knowing, new forms perhaps of being um, that are important for educators. And I would argue particularly white educators and particularly right now to read about. And so that's been one of the motivations behind this particular marginal syllabus during this spring of the 2021, uh, I guess, end of this academic year and moving into the next academic year, which has also been explicitly aligned to, and Chris mentioned his important work earlier, involved in the Black Lives Matter at Schools movement and a thematic year of purpose to orient educators specifically to this type of work. And so I just wanted to provide maybe some of that context as 
we've been curating resources and conversation over the past few months and kind of bring that into a kind of in some ways culminating conversation chris with you today which is just so appropriate for just again so many reasons including again your past uh you know yeah, leadership I mean, of this work which is just great so anyways i just want to throw all that out there in my rambling and say i'm so glad we're here thank you yeah i, I and i I'll, i need to offer a point of self-revision to say um when the new forms um it's also like a a, a new to who right and the new to who is like this sort of like academic legitimation process of like what is sort of like treasure um, within like the sort of like Eurocentric Western um, Academy. Um, so like, cause we, we, we talked about black, like you bring up Black Lives Matter at school, right? And the, one of the things that I'm, I'm working on right now is that part of what that we're doing um, that is, constantly right that's currently right now under attack in so many states across the United States where people are looking to ban what we are doing. We are recovering traditions of knowledge making and um, knowledge production and things that have articulated um, the struggle and the antagonisms of black people in this country and in places all throughout the world um, for centuries centuries um so it's not so i i i was probably i knew yes in some ways but also like that 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 importance of recovering these traditions right and, and bringing context to it is an incredibly important um so i really love like the work that marginal syllabus does because i think like yeah it gives it gives you space to do that right and to and particularly, you know, annotations, and we talked about annotations a lot, it's like, to remember that, right? So like, I feel like if I if I use the word new somewhere, I want to go through and like, no, 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 no. New to who? Put the question mark there. Just to remember that there are those um, models that come before us, right? And there are those traditions that come before us that are even in some ways operating when we don't even, you know, notice or recognize them. And um, in some ways for, for good reason, right? In terms of like, when I think about the role of popular education or political education, and in some ways we see right now in terms of like anti-racist education is, is sometimes put, like putting a stranglehold on the ways that we debate and work through real serious, you know, contradictions um, and trying to like package it and contain it into a textbook is not what it was built to do. Um, so I don't know, that conversation just got me back into like the work that we're doing at Black Lives Matter at school, but also that the work that this entire project is about, right? Of like, it is this constant process, right? And that we can't step outside of the complexity of the process um, and try to just say, you know, here's what the finished product is. Here you go, read it, consume it. But it always has to be this active, dynamic, um, like failure process of like trying to learn something and then trying to practice it. And I think sometimes we even the distinction between learning something and practicing, you know, is is a difference that needs to be explored too. So I don't know. That was a long comment just to say <laughs> I was wrong about saying do, but thank you. <laughs> Because I'm really um, often struck by the ways that you seem to be practicing what you are thinking about and you know exploring it in in real time, whether it's through your activism, your community work. I mean, it's all kind of connected. I realize, um, and you might have just answered this question, but when I was reading, looking at this edition. I was struck by all the contexts in which the different contexts in which these the articles that are collected here take place right so there's like after school program there's uh, a workforce context at the university there's um, social groupings of young children and then there's teacher pre service so it's really in very very different contexts and I was wondering like I'd love to hear more 
and, and you know it might be also just me sort of start like understanding better what the black radical tradition is but i feel like that 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 context is really important to or i've been worried about the relationship between those different contexts and the black radical tradition that you've talked about in this um introduction yeah i mean i, I appreciate that question um I with the the um in, in particular to like the black radical tradition, which is I think most um you know you know properly framed um in uh, through the work of Cedric Robinson, um who talks about it um uh, within the um yeah, it's book Black Marxism, which was just re-released through UNC Press. Um make sure you get a copy if you don't have one. And um he, you know, defines the black radical tradition as this like long accumulation of intelligence that has been gathered from struggle, right? Um, and I, I think one of the one of the you know, in particular to, to that book, Black Marxism, what he's also doing is saying like, yes, Marxism is an incredibly important tool. Um, for thinking, you know, uh, for, you know, liberatory struggle, but also there are traditions that are um, indigenous to like black, um, to the, like to the black community, the black diaspora community um, that also have like reshaped Marxism or reshaped our tools. So it was in some ways trying to recover that there are avenues of struggle that are happening in so many different places, and sometimes they are um, not like recovered, not not talked about, not discussed. Um, and I think that's important for why you see the diversity of, of locations or sites or spaces that are reflected in this collection. It's just it's, it's a reminder, right, that um, across many different experiences, across many different um, identity markers, there's a there's a consciousness. Right, that it, that is being built um, through like through struggle, through a through an awareness of the apparatuses that are you know seeking to um, you know like repress creative expression or or in some ways put it to con to control it or contain it. That there are, are these struggles that are happening in many different spaces and in every in every you know space of struggle there is that like pedagogical or, or or opportunity. So when we think about literacies in this in this broad sort of like way, you begin to see that we're all sort of like finding ways to express our authentic selves or or make these com uh, connections or communicate in coded ways to kind of continue to build that consciousness. And I think that's um What's there, and it's also, uh, it, you know, a, a term that if people are watching this, you could kind of go deeper with that. Is um, the, through the work of like Fred Moten and Stefanos Harney's uh, Black Study or Radical Study in, in the Undercommons of, of this idea of like um, there are these modes intellectual practice, you know, that sometimes we don't give, you know, uh, you know, credit to or, or sort of like survive underneath in the subterfuge of, of what's happening. So like, I think for my own self, um, I always say like, we, when I was in high school, Chester High School in Chester, Pennsylvania, there was like English class. There was also like a card game that was happening in the back of the room. And no one like asked those students what they were teaching in that card game because we were like supposed to be doing worksheets in English class. But that's also an intellectual practice. So like, I don't know, I think, I think about things like that. And I also think about what, what is that card game doing, you know, for the, for the, in particular to those moments, those black boys who are playing, right? What, what is that space of like, we were, we're not going to do this work. We're going, you know what I mean? Um, do this other work. And this work is more important and more valuable in some ways more relevant to our lives, right? That question, I think, is, is, is incredibly important. I think in literacies, research, and discourse, we're seeing a, a lot more attunement to like, oh, well, what's happening on the margins? And I think when we do it, when we do it right, it's not trying to assimilate those experiences. 
into, okay, well, how do we turn that into a learning thing, right? Oh, they wanna play cards? How do we make that the unit of math class that we're working on and teach probability, but rather see it as this space of autonomy and agency that we have to negotiate and really ask questions about. In some ways, like say, yo, that's y'all space and I'm gonna stay out of it. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's where I started to go with that question. I, a good friend of mine says, I don't answer questions. I kind of respond to them. And I'm realizing that my practice has kind of ended up there too. Oh, that's <laughs> a beautiful response, Chris. So, <laughs> yeah, shared with us I really appreciate uh, Christina's question about the different contexts that, um, that the issue highlights. Also sort of, you know, it makes more complex the notions of praxis, right? Because I do, you know, what my main main site of like any place I would find praxis relevant to me is an English classroom where, you know, the aforementioned card game might be playing out. And, and so in some ways, like praxis, as I think about praxis, it's often, it's certainly in, in ways I relate to students, but also the ways I think about curriculum and what counts as reading, what counts as writing, what counts as, you know, whatever, you know, what, what counts as like a skill or skill development. Um, so I think I appreciate that. Um, and then just to, the other thing I thought was like stuck out to me in my notes as you were talking about the card game, I, uh, I was thinking about the juxtaposition in the title of fighting and healing, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I was thinking as I was reading this piece about like, okay, you know what, you know, what might somebody in my, you know, my context fight or resist? And I wrote in the margins, you know, you know, maybe as I, as I got towards, as I got towards the reference of an article that starts out talking about playful practices. And I thought about how play can give us a way to resist standardization. But I also think about how play can function to help us heal. So those are that's my sort of stream of consciousness response to your uh, notion of broad, broad fr framing literacies really broadly, and also the complexity of these different contexts and the way we think about literacy or praxis. Chris, if you don't mind me mentioning a continuity uh, in, in, in these kind of associative trails, um, maybe that's how I would frame it for myself, you know, as we as you respond. You, you mentioned something similar. You shared with us a, a, an analogy of the Morlocks. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah. Um, and I just looked it up, if you don't mind me referencing it. In the marginal syllabus in December of 2018, we read a piece by Dr. Haddix on the radical qualities of youth writing and literacy. And you were a guest among a number of folks on a conversation then. And you had added an annotation to her piece um, in which you wrote the shadows. I love the shadows. And then in the conversation we had with you and again, a few other folks, you shared with us this extended analogy about, about the Morlocks. And I'm just reminded of that as a way in which, you know, this collective intelligence and again, our, uh, our desire, our awareness of learning in these various spaces and relations has also been building over time. Um, and I just wanted to appreciate, Chris, that there have been like kind of these years of associations and wisdoms that we've had with you in these conversations. And they're all, they're all there. Yeah. So thank, you, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Like continuing yeah, I, that line. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. And it's something that I definitely think about in just like the varieties of work and, and platforms for work that we take on. It's just, I always say like, everything ain't for everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think in, in particular, we talked about this just about like us and Joe and, and Twitter, like, um, you know what I'm saying? There's times when I'm just watching the end game and then I might just go on a rant about how Critical race theory is just one manifestation of um, just one, just one manifestation of the antagonism that Black people have realized in society. And 
that the fact that we're trying to contain the entire sort of like black resistance into critical race theory is doing a disservice to both black people's resistance strategies and critical race theory. And then the next tweet is about, you know, I wish Portland could have actually held it together in the third quarter. You know, so there's like those spaces and being in multiple things that are really important. Um, and I think, you know, and just kind of connect it back. So I always got something around, I don't know if folks can see this, but name of this, uh, this little pamphlet is called Letters, The Classroom is Burning. Let's dream about a school of improper education. Um, and I think another thing that brings me back to Wim Baxley and, and Dr. Jan Ruiz is that this role of the arts. Um, I spent numerous time, a, a lot of time um, while in my dissertation program using my electives to go to the art school and, and think about like unlearning a lot of that like disciplinary structure that forces us to only, you know, see things in one way. Uh, a short story I can go back to is that, you know, I used to teach an eighth grade class in language arts um, and they were, the, the young people were always upset with me because I would, um, I wanted them to look at the book in six different ways, right? Um, through different interpretive lenses. Um, to think about like, what is the connection that brings you into the book? But also what is the sort of like message of power that is unveiling in the book? So we would read like short sections, but the idea was I wanted you to think about multiple ways of reading something. Because I think when you have those multiple ways of reading something, it allows you to both see your relationship to it, but also understand the relationship that others may have to it. And within that, you grow a connection, not only to your own experience, but to the like sociality of the classroom. And it's, and in some ways, what I'm working against, right, is that the school was sort of set up so that you just kind of focus on you and your success. And I'm telling you, no, it's important that you need to understand how the person next to you is thinking about this as well. And what is your connection to that person? Um, so I think like the, the multiple avenues of work is, 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 is important for that um, because it is not an individual experience, right? And so how do we bring back that sociality? And that's what kind of like this little collection is about. And I'll make sure you guys get the link um, so that we can put it up. Cause I think it's important here to talk about collectivity and solidarity within the work and within literacies research. Um, and that's, that comes through in a lot of the collection pieces as well. Um, that you see is, um, we hear about one person's breakthrough, but it's also connected to like this collective condition or context that gives way for those breakthroughs to happen. I love that, Chris, thank you. I'm also wondering about the role of poetics in that. And you talk a lot about poetics. Well, you talk about it and then um, uh, Dr. Baxley and Celia Ruiz, you know, do mm -hmm. the, it, what's it called? The in-dialogue at the end of our yeah. TV. Um, and um, in this introduction, you say, or so we acknowledge that poetics encompasses poetry, but also so much more, right? So it is, so to me, what you just described is like deeply related to that sort of idea of poetics, I think. And, um, and so I was, I'd love to hear you describe that. And then I was also thinking about like, what are the implications for teachers of writing, right? Teachers who often think you know, are often interested in supporting their kids and writing poetry and, you know, and, and how, what has to happen to really make this sort of poetics happen, you know, not just poetry maybe, but like what, or what, what do you see would be important um, for teachers to think about too? So that's a couple of questions, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, you know, um, on the poetic side of the game, essay Smythe, uh, who's, I believe, currently a professor at um, UCLA. Um, I was, had a chance to be in conversation with them. And they talked about poetics as the, the root etymology, like the etymology of poetics is like invention, um, to invent. And 
that can take up many different forms, right? So like that, that's one way I found, I mean, that was like a reminder. I feel like the, the huge piece there that as I believe that is cited in the work is from uh, Aimé Césaire um, and like the poetic knowledge um, who sort of like sets forth of like this strategy, but then also it's kind of reaffirmed same in the same way uh, by Audre Lorde and poetry is not a luxury, right? That, you know, this distillation of experience allows us to glimpse, you know, new possibilities. Um, and I think um, what I've been attempting to do or, or even what I attempt to uh, advocate amongst teachers is some like the po the let's not confuse the poem for poetics of like the form that we have of just like writing on a page. If we think about the thought processes that are happening there um, of like distilling experience of, you know, finding form that matches our imagination um, of improvising, of revision, um, those tools don't have to just come back to like the pen, so to speak. You know what I mean? There's, uh, you know, K.C. Lehman writes about this beautifully in terms of like what revision looks like as a, you know, ethical and, and, and moral practice for our lives. Um, and I think where I've been going in terms of our advocacy, in terms of like the Black Lives Matter schoolwork is to engage that praxis of that process, right? of like, you know, uh, imagination, improvisation, um, form, like evolution and seeing these things sort of like grow and saying like, what are the different roads that we all can take in that way? And I, and the, the, I guess the challenge that I always had is trying to, <laughs> I was in an English language arts class and the young people would be like, you're not teaching us what a semicolon means. And I'm like, you could Google that, fam. Like, God, no. <laughs> but I think it's, it's a different type of question, right? And I mean, I'm biased. I think it's a, a more important, critical, and complex question. But it doesn't have an easy resolution. There's no right answer to it. And a lot of, um, a lot of our assessment system, our accountability system in education, is built around being able to say, oh, are you on the right path and not acknowledge the multiplicity of paths or in, in some ways that the, uh, the, the things that are structuring this path is, a, is oppressive to our humanity in the first place. Um, so I feel like that's the challenge of how do we expand the repertoire of of skills and in ways that we can sort of like think through ideas um, and make them like represent it in the public and kind of thinking of like the multi-modality of the work. Um, but it's also like challenging that it is not about the product, but about the process. So I think what poetics and moving from like the poetics from the sort of like poem or the poet is trying to get into that process and name that process as critically important. And in some ways like say that's the, that's the inheritance that we should share of that, that process. Um, you know, uh, um, if I have more time, I'll pull up an amazing video from Henry Threadgill, who's one of my favorite jazz artists who talks about uh, rehearsal, like the idea of rehearsal, the way he frames rehearsal is to go in search of, to explore. Um, and I don't, and he's like, I don't know where I'm going. So we, 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 we receive a text, right? We receive a bit of, of like the notes in the course, but then when we go, we flip it, we reverse it. We might drop some stuff out. We might, you know, go this way. We might go left, but it's all about figuring out where we all are in the sort of like, um, I, what do you call it? Like a, or not a jazz orchestra, but like the, the collective, the quintet, of figuring out where we all land in relationship to that. So to figure out how we have a conversation around it. So like annotation maybe, um, to kind of think about like, where are we going with it versus 
what we're being asked to do. And that that's always important for, I believe, young people to remember uh, and teachers to remember. What are we being asked to do? But also what is our, like, what is my purpose? What is our purpose? And those two things are like distinct and, and different. And you must hold attention to both of them, especially if you want to keep your deposit and health insurance. But it's important that you like consider what's possible um, with the situation that you're placed in. I hope that uh, came together. I have this vision. I have this vision. Sorry, just real fast. Like I have this vision of asking, saying to kids, like, like where are the semicolons in the world? You know, and like actually like exploring, like where do you find semicolons? Actually, um, that's the vision of like an activity that just came to my mind as you were talking. So I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to do. Right. Semicolons are everywhere. Why? <laughs> you have an eighth grader who's like. Who's teaching me what the semicolon is and its function and why they should be taught it? And I'm like, but you you already did that work. So why are you asking me to do it? <laughs> if you're that far in, why do I have to do it? But yeah. So this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I think it connects in the sense that you you talked quite a little bit about the English classroom, right? Yourself as somebody who was in a, an English classroom as a young man and seeing the card game, whether you're playing or not, you recognize that something's mm -hmm. happening there. And then also yourself at the front of the classroom, um, you know, sort of being challenged on your pedagogy by, you know, the best critics, right? The ones that, you know, you gotta be with each other all the time. And you have to kind of make a classroom communities type of piece together and, and work together. And uh, I am not gonna let myself ask you questions about Ben Simmons's free throws or Doc Rivers, but I did, following you on Twitter, I did note when you were, you wrote on Twitter about how you as a young man bought your own copy of Walter Dean Meyer's Monster. And for that reason, you, you know, while you, in this piece, you talk about the import of Lovecraft Country, you did not want to watch Monster. And I was thinking just as you were talking about like the, the fun challenges of teaching English or being in an English classroom and kind of like, what is important? If the semicolon is like, forget the semicolon, I think, you know, the young Chris Rogers running off to get that, buy his own copy of that book is, you know, there's something in there that you probably want that needs to be conveyed to, to young people about literacy. And that's not every, every young person we know isn't running off to buy their own copy of the young adult literature, but just talking about like maybe the contemporary media and then your own, you know, sort of like interest and sort of like fandom mm -hmm. interests in the take up of Walter Dean Myers, Monster, et cetera. Yeah, um, so I bought Monster from Stetzer Elementary School, Scholastic Book Fair. You know what I'm saying? I wanna say it was like $7 or something like that. Um, and I, for, I, always, I, I used to have like a love-hate relationship with uh, Walter Dean Myers because one, it was like, it was pandering, <laughs> I mean like, on the, on, from the outset, it's like this book, in particular for like the schools that I was at, it was like, these are the books that actually have like black boys like me on the cover. So like, in some ways you're like being like forced to, you got, you have to grab a Walter D. Myers book. Um, but Monster, what I loved about, and I don't know if I knew this then, or it came when I was like reflecting on it. But what I love about Monster is, um, and I, a colleague of mine, Rabani Gard, said this in relationship to another thing. But she said it's not a it's not a representation of the, uh, that person. It's produced by that person. So Steve, um, who's the main character in, in Monster, I feel like the magic of the book is the book is not like narrating Steve's life for him. It is Steve producing a story about his own life. And then what I love about it is he doesn't let you out. Um, he doesn't uh, give you the easy out of saying, I'm innocent or I'm guilty, or like, I, 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 I need you to see me in one sort of way. It allows you, the reader, to decide. And maybe 
um, and Joe, maybe you're making this connection, is that to me is probably the most important piece that I got out of my education in Chester. When you're seeing the, <laughs> the multiplicity of like social life happening or trying to be contained into one school where you have a card game going on in the back and you got neighborhood gossip going on over here. And then you got a teacher who's doing their best, but not really relevant. So like you have to decide and you have to choose how you show up. And you also have to imagine like your own sort of like ethics and morals of how you're doing that because people are gonna test you on it and say, yo, you know, peer pressure, all those sorts of things of like, go over here and do or do that. So like, I feel like the experience that I had of being around so much, um, for me, distraction was important to like hone in on what am I imagining, right? Or, or what are we doing? And I feel like in many ways our, our, our schools are robbed, like robbed of that, um, or young people are, are robbed of that agency to sort of like find out how they, like how, how do you want to show up, right? And how do you decide, um, how, do you, how do you decide that? What, are, what, what ways are you thinking about that, right? And how do you articulate that right and and bring structure to the things you refuse um i had a lot of practice at that when i was younger i'm saying no i'm not doing it i actually skipped out on i didn't do uh i didn't do test prep you know they tried to no child left behind they're trying to like get the school all down to like just focus on test prep and i mean i was a smart kid so i said yo i'm gonna pass that test i am not wasting my entire next three weeks doing multiple choice tests in this class. I'm not doing it. And then my teacher gave me a zero and I had to make a decision. And what I love about my ethics then, or I look back on young Chris and go, yes, I'm willing to live with the consequences of saying, oh, I'll take that zero, but I'm, I'm still not doing it. And I feel like that, like I always cheered for kids who, who would do that, who would get like sent to detention and would say, yo, I'll, I'll go to detention but just know I meant that when I said what I said. I love that. And I wish that, and I think it builds a level of critical consciousness that is important for like our larger goals of building, you know, freedom movements, of thinking about how we, you know, challenge ethics and build a more, you know, um, a more just moral imagination in our country. Um, but I also realized that that's scary for folks, especially when it's Black especially when it's black it's like no 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 like how do we sort of like bring that agency or or bring that imagination down so i i think you know through poetry we have seen people practice that and build on that and and maintain that and our best poets have been able to hold on to that right and really challenge our society james baldwin talks about that a lot in terms of like the the the, the struggle between the artists and society um, but like, I feel like we all have an innate ability to do that. It's just the structures of our society, which sort of like is trying to cancel it. Um, so I feel like as an educator, one of, one of my goals has been to like restore that, um, in some ways, like, like I want, I, I like, I love middle school because those, those are the students who are like, attempting right they're they're attempting to sort of like take control of the space and you have to negotiate with it and find a new space and my best thing has always been like oh i'm gonna challenge you i'm gonna allow you the space to like be on the same level but once you get there no i'm going to ask you some real questions and i want to see you like fail at it but i want you to see you continue to try um in terms of just like that power battle that you're in in, that, in those adolescence years I love that I was able to maintain that. Um, and I, I really like to see our communities maintain that. In particular, if we want to build the type of rebellious um, and ethically centered um, freedom movements that we need to really bring about change in this world. That was a really long answer. I'm sorry. I don't know where we are. Please don't apologize. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm preparing to teach a class on Monday about school and society, 
books and books, you know, and, and Chrissy reminding me that this idea of ethical justice oriented resistance um, within structure, and you've been speaking in a variety of ways about structure of this whole conversation, you know, whether it's, you know, improv and jazz and, you know, the structures of standards and how then those are maybe rehearsed to find a new ground, the structure of grammar, the structure of citational practice, which uh, maybe I'll hold my question about that, but I do at some point really wanted to ask you about kind of citations as political practice and how that's also a kind of academic structure that can be resisted. And then of course, in the literacy classrooms, as you've been talking about, and Joe, your lovely question that kind of brought in this, this incredible analysis of monster and again, how to understand resistance within structure. And I think now so much about the work that educators, and I'm gonna maybe qualify that to say maybe white educators specifically need to do to draw upon a variety of traditions of resistance to find and create the spaces that uh, I would again argue need to be opened in our schools heading into the next academic year. Um, and so I'm just so thankful, Chris, that you've, you're, you're kind of helping to attune me to the motivations and again, the lineages of intellectual thought. And again, the praxis that is necessary to make, to make that work happen. I really appreciate that. I should also say like um, with what we have in RTE um, and we uh, currently we're like trending towards like the end of the, our sort of like editorship. And I really appreciate that, uh, you know, the editorial team, which is led by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas, uh, Dr. Amy Stornialu, and Dr. Gerald Campano, along with my editorial assistants, uh, who are currently, we're about to add some new folks, but currently, uh, Jen Fong, uh, Aki Dakota, and then Bethany um, Monet, um, have been thinking about like many of these sort of like, you know, critical and complex questions of like, where do we see this discourse come, but also how do we take some of these, not take, but how do we like bring the momentum and energy that we are seeing sort of like come through um, in everyday practice, whether it's in classrooms or um, in the streets, um, how do we see that influence the way that we approach uh, the work of the journal? I just definitely wanna give a shout out to my team. Um, and I've been telling a lot of personal stories, uh, but I feel like that's how a lot of our meetings go, right? It's, it's always a, a conversation, we can't hide it, right? That um, we're, we're reading work, but we're also like bringing our own, you know, wisdom and experiences through it. And that is what, you know, really um, animates, animates readings for us. And for, I think for most people, right? Um, just have it be open to that. I think that's Roland Barthes, am I right, uh, Remy? Of like the multiplicity of readings and readerly yeah. text or something like yeah, that. You, you, Chris, you got it, yeah, you got it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot here to unpack, uh, but maybe I, I see that we're kind of starting to wrap up. So I'll use this as my way to kind of just jump in here with a kind of you know last thought, which is that Chris, I mean, as always to learn again, as Joe said earlier, from you, with you to continue again to, you know, our paths, you know, forward with you is just always such a such a pleasure. So thank you for for joining us. Yeah, you know, Chris, you got me thinking about so much, but you know, to bring this in some, you know, like this idea of annotation and citation as annotation and like semicolons that are like written in the world. And I think that you've just, you know, and at this kind of very fundamental level, people can sometimes dichotomize notions of literacy as by, as being, as we've been talking about, oriented towards these liberatory social movements and the kinds of creative, expressive everyday activities that can be understood as literacies, and then dichotomize that with these very kind of reductive readings in a both literal sense, but also in this kind of like, kind of grammatical sense of like what counts as and what should be foregrounded as literacy. And I think that you've not only helped us to trouble that, but you've given us, I think, just some really important entry points to saying like, there's complexity at those intersections. There's also a synthesis here. And there's a real need to find ways of opening up spaces of agency. And as we were talking about earlier, resistance, as let's say literacy educators think about the decisions that they make, 
and the books that they choose to read and the conversations they, they choose to have with their students. And I hope that some of that uh, resonates with folks as we move through what will be, I think, a summer of deep reflection and learning for many people and head towards a new academic year um, that is going to be very consequential for our students, for our families, for our communities. And Chris, your wisdom is, I think, going to help uh, you know, help us in many ways. So thank you so, so much for that. Oh, should I get my final word here, Joe? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you can you can say whatever you like, but we'll probably just all whip around and kind of one final thought and be thanking each other. So you, if you want to go, Chris, go for it. All right, yeah, because you said citation on practice, so I definitely got to give a shout out. So, um, you know, let me lift up the citations that are behind me, right? So to the, uh, you'll see a sign that says Free Mumia, uh, which is the, uh, the struggle to free Mumia Abu-Jamal. Political prisoners has been locked up since 1981 for a crime he didn't commit in Philadelphia. The mobilization to free Mumia Abu-Jamal in Philadelphia um, since 1981 has shepherded so many of, of us. And I'm saying, you know, someone who comes, I'm in a town right next to Philadelphia, Chester, but in terms of learning how to situate myself into like the black radical tradition of Philadelphia, it really comes through um, both Mumia uh, Abu-Jamal's writing and, and journalism, but also through the community that has really, you know, sprung up to think about how we free Mumia Abu-Jamal, but also all political prisoners. So shout out to Mumia and just like lifting up that like all these things behind me have like these deep connections, right? And on top of that, you'll see this amazing essay, which I recommend to everyone from Eduardo Galliano called In Defense of the Word, um, which talk about like the role of literature to transform society and that we cannot think about that as a romantic practice, um, but rather see its connection to uh, speak the truth about the world, right? And then create, and within that open possibility. Um, then also you see Angela Davis with Toni Morrison um, in a sort of image from, from the seventies. And right on top of that, you see um, an image from a protest that was led by the Philadelphia Student Union. Um, I'm on a board of the Philadelphia Student Union. They do youth organizing here in the city of Philadelphia. Um, so in terms of like citing my sources, um, and thinking about the, the inheritance that I walk into this world with, I wouldn't be who I am. Um, the work, my work wouldn't be what it was without those influences of those organizations, those people. Um, so I definitely want to give a shout out to that. Just to say like, hey, there's no APA format to that, but um, I definitely want to show love. Thank you, Chris. Um... A helicopter just went overhead. I think it was just a um, hospital helicopter, but you know, um, mm. the policing in Philadelphia, often we have helicopters overhead. And um, you've been such a powerful force among others in fighting back against that uh, policing of our communities and our bodies and ourselves. So thank you. And thank you to all the, references you just made. Um, my final thoughts, I am just completely like now obsessing about the young Chris Rogers. And Chris is incredibly like consistent with everything I know about you today. But as a teacher, as an educator, I'm like, how do we think about like, like what you did, you know, what you decided, what you did, what you worked through, what you practiced, like back to this idea of practicing, like I'm gonna like, you know, like how do we, how do we like get you that A for that? Or like give you that like, like, like you won. Like that's, you know, like in that moment, like you did it, right? So like, how do we as educators honor that? And I don't know, I'm sort of like, completely obsessed with that idea now. Um, so um, I love that story and I thank you for sharing it. Well, I, I wanna you know, stay on time, but I, I have a, um, connect, I mean the connection, okay. The connection I have is, is about um, 
because to me it wasn't about it's not it's not the win wasn't the uh or the what what i love about that is that i chose that the way i was going to show up was my a right and i decided what an a was going to be for me um and that you could say it's a c like you could say i got a 60 average because you took more zeros and added them to the mix but i know what i did and i feel like that connection is 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 important and it, also i know what it did for me um so it kind of bringing it back into our street movements right in terms of like when injustice happens right when we see like police violence take place in philadelphia there there could be you know someone who is like yes petitioning city hall right but there's also going to be someone who might you know burn down a wendy's in atlanta because of how like repressive and 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 um just like damaging this violence is and in some ways what <laughs> what i'm honoring is that like those are both true and valid responses for, for people. And when we think about the worlds that we set up in ways that are damaging or, or that damage people, we have to be willing to like negotiate the consequences of the structures that we have that are saying in terms of a human responses, the, it goes that why. Um, so like the refusal or rage, or, or rage, or, um, and I know this is kind of deeply connected to like reflecting on the year after George Floyd for me, is that the different responses that we all have, right, are valid and true and authentic. And they create possibilities when they're read in, you know, its full context. Um, but some of what is happening, or some of what the role of the, the classroom or the the, the person is to do is to try to say, this is the range of the acceptable response. And I feel like as a teacher, our role is to kind of say, you get to choose how you wanna show up, but base it in something that's real, that's authentic, that's not just about you, but is about the collective. So how do we cultivate that connection to collectivity? How do we cultivate that ethical uh, commitment and conviction to one another? But at the end of the day, how do we allow young people and everyone really the agency um, to decide how they want to like show up? Um, so, you know, sorry about that because I feel like I was watching the Joy James talk. I'm talking about burning down Wendy's. This is an education talk, but um, yeah, it's like my sources. Joy James is amazing. Please watch anything she puts out. Yeah, and what I appreciate, Chris, is, um, you know, you, again, we're so lucky to be able to learn with you on Marginal Syllabus whenever we get the chance, and we're glad, glad to wrangle you today, and we're glad that, you know, we can blame you for going over time, but it's a part of, part of our, like, desire to pick your brain and think with you of why we're going over time, but I, I guess my final thought is... You don't get a chance to talk like this. <laughs> exactly, exactly, but I guess what I appreciate, like, you know, paying attention to historic conversations about literacy and what we value, you know, forever, we've been talking about the importance of agency as we're developing readers, writers, and speakers, right? But, you know, there's, as you, you mentioned, you said it's scary when it's black. You said that earlier. And I would say, like, we've always talked about the value of agency, and we're really uncomfortable with this notion of activism. And I think that you just like, for me, you just exemplify somebody who is like, oh, when somebody has an activist mindset, like that is a, there's probably lots of ways to have high degrees of agency, but that is certainly one of them. And so, you know, we're gonna, we need to spend more time thinking about the young, the, the lessons we can learn from the young Chris Rogers, but you're still pretty young. We're still learning lessons from you. So we, we got to separate the two, but I just appreciate your time. And it's so great to talk to you. So, um, I'll leave any, anybody else want to say thank you really quick before I read the outro badly like I always do. Just thank you, Chris. Thanks, Joe, Amy. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you for, for showing up. Thank you for showing up. Yeah, and so again, thanks everyone who's who watches. Um, again, this article is titled 
we strayed from the article appropriately as we, as we promised we might, but the editor's introduction to the February 2021 edition of Research in the Teaching of English is titled, You Can Still Fight, The Black Radical T Tradition, Healing and Literacies. And Chris is one of a number of co-authors. And so thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Um, the article will be online throughout the month of June and accessible for participant annotations at educatorinnovator.org. And if you want to look for a conversation about it or the link to the article on Twitter, you might find it at mar hashtag marginal syllabus. Thanks. Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. WWE Radio.